I'd like to read a passage of Scripture. It's in Proverbs 29, 18. You can write this down, but it's probably, it might be a passage that's familiar to you. It says this, where there is no revelation or where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Maybe your ver version says, where there is no vision, people perish. But blessed is the one who see heeds wisdom's instruction. And Father, today, Lord, I just, I ask for your help. I ask for you, Lord, to anoint and to use us today. Help me to get out of the way and let you speak to our hearts this morning. God, I just pray that the Spirit of the Lord would just emphasize this thought in our mind, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've been reading a lot about this concept of vision. Um, I love that passage just found in, in Proverbs 29, 18, because it's very clear. Where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision of what God wants to do, if, if there is no spiritual focus, if there's no determination on this is what I'm following Jesus and I've got clear focus on to do that, if we're all about us and we're not about what God wants to do in us, people perish. People die. I look throughout Scripture, and I, and I see different things of where that took place. I, I look in Numbers chapter 13, and I see how a lack of vision cost the nation of Israel dearly because they couldn't enter into the promised land because they believed they couldn't beat the giants that were in Canaan. I've read authors and, and books and have tried to uh, encourage and coach that, that those books have tried to encourage and, and coach you on, on receiving and fulfilling vision. And I've come to this conclusion as I read Scripture and as I read uh, just on my own reading, I, I find that vision comes from my prayer time. Vision comes from my time alone with God. If I want my heart to be changed by Him, that's how vision happens, is allowing Him to do that inside of my life. Talks about people who, we talked about this last week, people who said yes to the call immediately, and some who said they didn't do that at first, but they came around later. And then there are those who just did not see the vision. You know, the reality is we all want to live under God's blessing, don't we? We all want to live under God's blessing. We want to experience the, the, the great things of God, but to do that, we've got to have God's plan for our life. To do that, we've got to be willing to sacrifice and to pay the price to live underneath the blessings of God. You say, well, Pastor, I've never heard that before. Well, let me enlighten you a little bit today. So many times we want the blessings without the cost. We think that this idea, we, we've kind of come up in our society today that this idea of God should just be at our beck and call and, and he should be able to do whatever we want and however we want and whatever and, and at our snap of the fingers and God doesn't work that way. We, we honor and want the blessings of God in our life, but we aren't willing to say, God, I'm going to give you my life in return because then once we give our life to God, then God can impart himself into us and it changes our focus, it changes our mindsets, it changes our life, and it changes our vision. And the only way you'll ever get to that place is if you come to the reality that says, I need more of God to have godly vision in my life. I want to talk about some thoughts that I have from Scripture today. 
some thoughts about vision as it's related to my life and in this passage in Acts chapter 7, some things I noticed. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Let's start reading in verse 30. Acts chapter 7, verse 30. It says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. I want to pause right there. Whenever you have a vision from the Lord, it will always involve people. Because the Bible talks about this. That's the principle of, of Proverbs 29, 18, is without vision, people perish. And so if we have a vision from God, God hears the hearts of your family, those people that you're doing this 30-day challenge for. God hears the hearts of those people, and he knows that they need a Savior. He sees their lostness. He sees their bondage. And he's looking for people who will answer yes like Moses and say, I'll be the one. I'll be the one who shares. I'll be the one who goes. It says, verse 35, this is the same Moses. They had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. I want to just bring a couple of thoughts about that passage today. And the first one is this. It's not just about the destination, but with God, it's also about the journey. It's not just about the destination, but with God, it's also about the journey. Um, Moses' life was being prepped from infancy to lead God's people out of Egypt. For the first 80 years of, of his life, Moses would have not thought that to be true. If you'd have told Moses when he was out in the middle of the desert, if you'd have told Moses when he was a boy in Pharaoh's palace, he probably would have never dreamed about what the destination would look like at the end of his life. He would have never thought that he would have been the one that God chose to use to lead his people out of bondage and out of Egypt. But along the way, God is prepping him and he's preparing him for the vision that he had given for Moses to do. Even his time in the desert, those 40 years that he spent out in the desert alone was to help him to understand how he was going to live in the desert because the Israelites now were going to be 40 years in the desert with him. He needed to know how to live in that place. Can I challenge you with this thought this morning? Chances are that your life is as much about the preparation done by God for the work that he's been asking you to do as well.
Moses' decision to step out and react against the Egyptian, God used that to move him to the desert. And once there, God got his attention through the burning bush to move him back to Egypt to deliver his people. The thing is, is we don't like the preparation all the time. <laughs> we don't like the preparation. We don't like that part of it. But if you'll take that and allow God to use it to give him glory and touch the lives of people, he will turn that preparation time into a glorious thing. We don't realize the pressure. A lot of time you don't understand that you're being prepped until you look backward. A lot of times in my life, I've come to the place where I didn't realize that God was prepping me for where I am today because I didn't see that at the time because I was in the middle of it. But now I look back and I can see that. I remember when I was a kid, I'd just given my heart to the Lord, probably hadn't been saved but a couple years, and I was in youth group, and my youth pastor called me up because we didn't have texting back then, we had rotary phones. Bless God. Party lines. Come on, some of you are like, Pastor Joe, I didn't know you were that old. I know I hide my age well. He called me up and he says, hey, can you meet me at the church after school? And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So my mom drove me to the church because I didn't have my driver's license at that time. I think I was like 15 years old. I wanted to drive but couldn't. And so I'm at the church and he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to help me set up chairs. I'm like, you called me in to help you set up chairs. Okay, we'll do that. And we started setting up these chairs for youth group, and, you know, our youth group ran about 30, 35 kids maybe at the time, and so we're setting up chairs for youth ministry. We get about halfway through the chairs, and he says this. He says, oh, by the way, I want you to speak tonight. I say, what? I had never given sermon one, ever. And he says, I want you to speak tonight. And I said, about what? And he said, whatever God lays on your heart, this is 3.30 in the afternoon. Church starts in a couple hours. I'm like, are you kidding me? I haven't had Bible college education. I don't know much about this. All I know, so I go home and I get my little Bible. My little Bible had like um, all kinds of topics and it gave the scripture right? And so I'm looking through there, and I'm thinking, okay, do I talk about adultery? No, because that doesn't apply. Do I talk about, uh, what, what do I talk about here? <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of going through the list, and I'm, I get to, uh, do I talk about money? No, because none of us have any. Do I, do I talk about, you know, <laughs> and I'm starting to think through all this stuff. What do I talk about? And all of a sudden, this verse of scripture just hit me, and it was 1 Corinthians 13, and I just talked about the love of God, and how God loved me, and even though I didn't deserve it, you know how long that sermon was? About three minutes. Some of you are thinking, I wish he'd revert back, right? It was about three minutes. But I think about that time in my life, and, and I think about those moments when, when God was prepping me, and I didn't even know it. My Sunday school teacher, who heard that I'd spoken youth, comes up and says, hey, would you mind teaching Sunday school in about a month, because I'm going to be out of town. And I'm like, um, I guess, sure. And at those moments, you know, you're thinking, I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not able to do this. God, I don't know what you're thinking having me do this. But looking back, I see how it prepared me. 
I see what, how God's hand was in that for me. I see other things in, in, in my life, too. And I had the privilege of being on very successful sports teams growing up. We played on a basketball team when I was a 10-year-old that won the state championship. Um, I, I played on um, a basketball team in college that finished third in the nation um, in, in basketball. I, I've had the privilege of doing those kind of things. I've had the privilege of playing on baseball teams that, that was ranked second in the state of Indiana. I, I've had the privilege of, of successes that way. And, and you look back and you think, well, that's pretty cool. And I don't say that to brag because I was just part of a team. It's not that I was the great or the best player. I was just part of a team. And God allowed that to happen in my life and allowed me to get some knowledge. And at the time, he's just like, well, that's cool, man. And, and we think, oh, we're going to relive the glory days, right? Yeah, go back and I can do this all over again. Or, or we think, I can live it through my son. That's what I can do. But you know what? God didn't have that plan for me at all. You know what God opened the door for me to do? He took my knowledge of those kind of activities and team events and those kind of things, and he opened up the door for me to speak to college football teams about Jesus. He opened up the door for me to speak to high schoolers in FCA and through coaching basketball about Jesus as a way to not only take sports and use it as a platform, but use it as an opportunity to share about the love of God and what he could do in their life. Didn't see that back here. Didn't see that in the middle of it. It was just all about having fun. Didn't see about it whenever Pastor Mark asked me to preach that, that Wednesday night and I had two hours to prepare. Didn't see all that then, but I see it now, how God used that in my life to prep me for the journey. I would guarantee that there's probably some things in your life that if you would really look back on and you think about what God has done, you could use those things for what he wants to do in your future. The, the thing is you have to get a clear vision of where he wants you to go so that you can look at those things and say, God, I recognize how, God, you used this in my past, whether that be glorious things or hurt or pain or awesomeness or whatever that is, God has a way of taking all of our stuff and using it for good. Moses is preparing for a life out in the desert, but he has this moment with God and, and in the burning bush experience. And I'm telling you, church, we need more burning bush experiences. We need more times when we, when we encounter the presence of God in such a way that it changes our walk and it changes our life and it changes our focus and it changes our vision. We need that in our life. I'm not saying everything that's happened in our life is God-ordained. Sometimes people make bad decisions. Sometimes things happen that impact us. But if we will allow him to, God can take the even most difficult moments of our life, those terrible seasons, and somehow, some way, he can turn them around for good and find his purpose in that. I think of a guy in the Bible with a really cool first name. We talked about him Wednesday night. His name's Joseph. <clears throat> Joseph is one of my favorites. Here's a guy who, yeah, he probably shouldn't have went to his brothers and said, hey, guess what, guys? I had a dream. Y'all are going to bow down and worship me. How many of you have brothers and sisters and know that's not cool? <laughs> right? That, that, that probably wouldn't be a, a great thing. If you, if you had a big group of, of siblings and you went up, I couldn't imagine going to my sister today and say, hey, Allison, guess what? I had this dream. You're going to bow down and worship me. That would not fly very well. Now, she may not treat me the way that Joseph's brothers treated her, but there's going to be some differences of, of things, right? Joseph's brothers, then they take this guy and they, 
Joseph and they sell him into slavery. <laughs> Bow down to you, we'll show you. And they sell him off into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And to make a long story short, he goes through different times where he's tested his, in his integrity with Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown into prison. He gets all of these things. But God uses all of those things for good so that he could deliver his brothers in a time of famine in his family. Matter of fact, Joseph at the end of the book of, of Genesis has his brothers in a room. And he says, what you meant for evil, God used it for good. And there are things in your life that, man, maybe the devil meant them to destroy you, but because you've gotten victory over them or because you've come through that time, that season, God can take those things that were meant to destroy you and to kill you, and he can use them for good and allow you to touch the lives of people. But the way that that happens is we have to change our focus and our vision. The second thing that I notice in, through this, the story of the Israelites is the second thing that needs for vision is trust. I referenced it earlier in Numbers chapter 13. Israelites sent in 12 spies into the land to spy it out, to see if this was something we could do. And 10 of them came back and said, oh man, yeah. All of them came back and said, oh, you wouldn't believe the size of the grapes as big as your head kind of deal, right? Oh, it's amazing. Those things are awesome. It's a great place. It is a land that is very prosperous, but 10 of them says there's no way we can do that. There's no way we can beat those giants. There's no way we can do that because we will be defeated. Two of them said, come on, God's given to us. Let's do it, man. We trust him in this. We can do this. But 10 of them said no, and they ended up going to the desert for 40 years until that generation died off because of their lack of trust in the Lord. Do you trust that God will do what he's promised he'll do in your life? Do you think that God's big enough to save your family and your friends? Do you trust that God can establish a ministry through you to reach many people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are you open to doing life God's way and not yours? They spent 40 years on a journey that should have taken less than two weeks, wandering around in the desert. Trust oftentimes is taking steps of faith even when the end result is not evident. Moses had to take a step of faith back to Egypt even though he couldn't be sure of how Pharaoh would even treat him or receive him. Remember, he was a wanted criminal because he killed an Egyptian. He didn't know how that was going to go down. It had been 40 years. He didn't know what was going to take place. But God calls him to take a step. There are things in your life that you don't know what's going to take place. You don't have the end result. You don't have the, the knowledge of what's going on down here. Can I tell you, typically God doesn't work that way. I don't know if you've experienced that. Maybe your life is blessed and, and highly favored. But that's never been the case in my life where God shows me the end result and says, okay, here we go. We're going to go down to there, right? Usually he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. I want you to take these steps that we're going to take together, and I want you to trust me. I'm not going to show you the end because you can't handle the end. 
because you're going to try to jump all these other steps that you need to get there, and I know you. God knows me. God knows me. I'm just being real. I'd love to go out and start building that building tomorrow and have it up by the end of the week. Right? However, there are steps that we take to get there. In your journey with the Lord, there have been steps in my life where God has this great thing down here, and I know He does, but I have no idea what it looks like. Had no idea I was going to be the pastor of Bible Assembly of God. Up until 12 years ago, if you'd asked me where Bible was, I couldn't tell you. Sorry, I don't mean that as a, as a dig. I just didn't know. I was a city boy. Grew up in Terre Haute, population of over 100,000 people. Went to minister outside of St. Louis, which is millions. Went to minister in Columbus, which is big. And so God says, go to Byesville. And I'm like, where's Byesville? <laughs> in the desert, that's good. It's not been a desert for me. And God started me on this journey all the way back when I was a teenager setting up chairs in youth group. And if at that moment God would have showed me all the way down there to where I am today preaching to you this morning, I'd have told him he was nuts. And if God were to show me today where he wants me to be 20 years from now, I probably would look at him and, and everything that's going to happen and, and just trusting him and walking with him and, and seeing what he wants to do, I'd probably tell him, God, you're crazy. Why? Because God asks us to take steps of faith to trust him. We've got to trust. And it happens one step at a time. One of my favorite passages of scripture is this. It's in Psalm. I believe it's in chapter 15 or 16. I can't remember which one. But the, the verse is this. It says, I have placed the Lord always before me. I have placed the Lord always before me. You know why that was so important? Because if he's before me, I know where he went. If he's before me, I can trust him to lead me. If he's in front of me, I can take him that way. And I know he's, I, 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 my eyes are on him, right? When we get into a big crowd of people at the amusement park or wherever we go, my wife will sometimes grab my shirt. She won't try to stand beside me because that don't work. You just get cut off and like, oh, right? Where are you? Kind of deal. So she'll get behind me. She'll get right in behind me and she'll grab a hold of my shirt. And we'll kind of make our way through to the exit door, make our way through where we, gotta do, where we want to go. I'm her lead blocker. I'm big enough to block, so we just go that way. And she'll grab a hold of my shirt, and we'll go that way. That's the same kind of thought process I have with God. God's got a destination for me to go to. I want to grab a hold of Jesus and go with him where he takes me. The third and final one is this. There's a, if you're going to fulfill the vision that God's placed on your life, there's got to be obedience and humility. Obedience and humility. You know, the Israelite people, wow. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll find this is the Israelite people. There were moments when they trusted God, and man, everything was awesome, and God was doing great things, and they were conquering their enemies, and things were happening, and then all of a sudden, they fell away from God and started serving idols, started going after other gods, and God let them go into slavery and into bondage. 
And then over time, they would recognize their sin, and they'd be like, whoop, and then back up, and then back down. Always in and out of slavery. Never fully walking in obedience to the Lord. Verse 39 in, in Acts 7 says, But our ancestors refused to obey him. The Israelites refused to obey God. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts, it doesn't say with their bodies. Did you catch that? Within their hearts, they went back to Egypt. What did Egypt represent to them? Bondage. It represented slavery. It represented uh, custody. They weren't free. And in their heart, see, God isn't so much just concerned with my physical body. He's more concerned about my heart. Man looks at the outward appearance of things, but God focuses on your heart. And if you're not willing to obey him and to serve him and to humble yourself and, and follow him with all of your heart, you're going to find yourself going back to the place of bondage. God never intended for you to be there. Intends for you to be free. But this idea of obedience to God, it's an everyday decision. It's a choice that we make every single day. Because our nature is to not obey. Our, our nature is to be selfish and do what's right in our own eyes. How do you know that? What's the first, one of the first things that, that kids say? Mine. Right? Mine. Remember, our kids tried to do that. It's mine. <laughs> you know, and it's funny how we say it with that attitude. It sounds similar to that, right? It sounds like you're some kind of possessed thing. Mine. It's mine. And every time they'd use that word, mine, we'd say, no, 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 no. We love to share. We love to share. And that lasts about an hour, and then it was back to mine, right? Why? Because that's our nature. Our nature is to be selfish. I don't know if you picked up on that in your life or not, or if you're willing to admit it, but our nature is to be selfish. Our nature is to think about us and not everyone around us. Our nature is to think about what's best for me and not have a clue about what God even thinks or even want to know. Why? Because it feeds us. That's why Paul says, every day I've got to kill this flesh. You know why I've got to kill this flesh? Because it takes the focus off of me. And it becomes less about mine and becomes more about him. It becomes more about following and obeying him. It's a conscious effort to follow God's voice. And when we don't, we find ourselves in a predicament. When Moses goes up to the mountain, this continues, this story continues on in Acts chapter 7. This is actually the story of Stephen before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, preaching the gospel, giving a, a good a sermon that connects the Old Testament to the New and, and the fulfillment of Christ. He's actually preaching this out, and, and he tells them that, he goes on to say that they rejected God and went back to Egypt, and they made for themselves idols of gold and worshipped it, this golden calf. You know, it's one of the most tragic, hilarious stories in all of Scripture. Tragic because it took them all of about a minute 
after God had parted the Red Sea and they came across and got free from Egypt, it took them all of about a minute to turn their hearts to somewhere else. Hilarious because of what Aaron says. Aaron is left in charge. Moses goes up to hear from God. Aaron's left in charge, and, and the people say, oh, no, we got to have this idol. we got to have something we can worship, something we can see, because we had that in Egypt. We worshiped all of their idols in Egypt. We need something. We need a God we can see. And so uh, he says, bring me the gold, and they fashion this calf, and they worship this calf. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and he says, hey, Aaron, what's going on? He was a lot more animated and mad than I am right now, but that's what he says. And Aaron says, I don't know what happened. I threw this gold in and poop, out popped this calf. Isn't that hilarious? Maybe you didn't find it as funny as I did. But I think that's a hilarious part of Scripture, but it's so sad because their hearts were so fickle back and forth. God moved in their life in such a way that he delivered them, but it took them about a minute to forget that and to do their own thing. The challenge here today, I think, is kind of obvious. Maybe you're here this morning and God's delivered you, and it takes you about a minute to go back and do your own thing. It takes you about a minute to forget about it and just say, oh, well, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And then you go right back to the sin that you got saved from. We just enter this vicious cycle, and life just becomes all about us. We worship idols. See, the, a definition of an idol is anything that you put ahead of God in your life. Anything I put ahead of God in my life becomes an idol to me. And from the very beginning with the law and the Ten Commandments, he says, you can't have any other gods before me. No idols. God will not take second place in your life. A couple things that I want to leave you with. It's a couple of scriptures. One is this. I believe this is 1 Samuel 16, 33. It says, to obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen or hearken than the fat of rams. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Solomon is closing out this book, and he says this, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Micah said it this way, Micah 6, 8, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to do what's right, in other words, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Obedience and humility go hand in hand. Only a humble heart will trust and obey God. Because a humble heart reflects the proper order of priority. We, re we approach God humbly. Why? Because he's holy and he's magnificent. Can I tell you this? This is an important thing. You want to write this one down because I, I just this is something that really popped in my, my notes and in my heart today. A lack of humility is a revelation of pride. A lack of humility is a revelation of pride of pride, not being able to become a humble servant, but desiring to be the master. When life becomes all about us, how much I can get, not about what I can give. When it becomes about my wants, my needs, my desires, and not on what God wants and how I can serve Him best, then my viewpoint has become more based upon me than about Him, and I cease to walk in obedience and humility.
We've got this economic, consumer-based Christianity viewpoint, and we view everything that way, from churches to life, and, and even God we view that way. God, what can you do to meet my needs? God, what can you do to help me? When we take that approach, we, we miss the idea of what servanthood's all about. We've lost vision. We've lost focus because no longer are we focusing ahead on Christ and what he wants to do. We have turned our focus inward and it has become all about me. I remember several years ago, I went to one of the hotels and asked them for old towels because they get rid of them on a regular basis. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting my heart to have this embroidered on a towel. And it just basically says this, called to serve. Called to serve. And I begin to pray into that, and I'm like, God, why would you want me to, to do that? What, what, what significance does that have in my life? He says, because I never want you to forget what you're supposed to do. I never want you to lose focus about this. I keep this in my bedroom. Every morning when I wake up, I see this towel. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I've mastered this. But one thing I can say is this. This has become the focus of what I want my life to be about. I want to be called. I've been called to serve. And can I tell you, that's not just for preachers. That's not just for pastors. Every one of us have been called to serve. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And then as I got this towel and I had this embroidered, God took me to the passage of Scripture. And it was the passage where Jesus reaches down and he washes his disciples' feet. The master of all humbled himself to wash the feet of his disciples, to take on a role that a servant would have done. Why? Because he, above all, modeled this fact that he was called to serve. Today, I don't know where you are on this journey. I don't know where you are in this idea of your walk with the Lord. But I do know this, unless we get a vision of God and what he has for our lives individually, people are perishing all around you. Unless you're willing to walk with him, to look back and to say, man, God, I see how you've prepped me for this moment. I see the things that you've happened in my life, and whether they be good or bad, I see how I can use them today to see the power and the vision of God that you have for my life. I, God, I trust you. I put my life in your hands, and God, I also I want to obey, and I want to walk in humility. I want to remember, God, that I'm called to serve. Unless we come back to that place, church, if we come back to that place, lives will be changed for all eternity. But as long as we still have the focus of the Israelites, who when God saved them, he saved them from Egypt and brought them through, and then all of a sudden they, they served him and they loved him as they were crossing the Red Sea because they looked back and they saw their enemy drowning. 
But then they thought God had left them, and all of a sudden they went right back to their sin. And as long as we keep in that vicious cycle, we'll never find the blessings of God. Your vision will always be obscured. It will never be where you need it to be. But if you will, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you'll love people. And you'll go after God. And you'll keep the Lord always before me. He will do great things in your life. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, today I pray, Holy Spirit, dispense Holy Spirit move throughout this place this morning. In Jesus' name. You're here this morning. And your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Maybe you've never come to that place where you've been set free from the sin that's been in your life. Or maybe you have come through that, but you find yourself moment by moment by moment, just one minute you're serving God, the next minute you're serving you. One minute you're serving God, the next minute you're doing the sins that you used to do. And you can't find yourself to get out of that cycle. And God says today, I want to break that in your life. I want to break that in your life and set you free. But this decision is not his alone. It's up to you. You've got to be the one. God gives us free will and choice, but you've got to be the one. You're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I want my life. I want to give my life completely to Jesus. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? We want to pray with you this morning. Yes, 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 hallelujah, yes. Praise God. Praise God, yes. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, God. Completely yours, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to ask you if you would just repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I come to you today wanting to change, wanting to chase, and to follow after you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me get victory over those. I don't want to do those anymore. I want you. I choose relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand across this sanctuary today? Here's how we're going to conclude this message this morning. You say, you know what, Pastor, I, I feel like I want a, a new sense of vision. God's kind of giving me some new things today. I want to kind of digest those. I want to kind of work on that. And, and I want to make a dedication before the Lord that says, God, I'm going to place you before me. God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to obey. God, I'm going to live in humility. God, I'm going to live my life to serve. God, I want to do that. I want that to be who I am. I want to look back at the things you've brought me through and use them to minister to people moving forward. I want a clear vision of who you are. As we pray this prayer today, as we close our service in prayer today, I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, that's me. Father, I pray today that the hands that are raised, God, that this is not just about doing this in front of others. God, this is a heartfelt thing that we do before you. 
that says, Lord, I want what you want for my life. I want a clear vision. I dedicate myself to serving God and to serving people. I dedicate myself to the vision that you're calling me to. I'm not going to just be satisfied where I am, but God, I'm going to place you before me. God, I know that you're going to move in me. It's not going to be about my desires and my wants and my needs. It's going to be about serving the kingdom. It's going to be about ministering God to you and to doing the things that you want me to do. God, I pray today, let the call of God, let the answer of God, let the power of God move in our hearts. May we be obedient. May we be humble. God, may we trust you. And today I pray, God, that as we continue to do that, may we see our vision. May we see, God, you open doors of new opportunities in ministry, even if it's just a one-on-one with some one of our neighbors or a new ministry that you're opening up for us to do. Whatever the case is, God, help us to have focus on you and to follow you in that. And God, we just surrender our life to you today. I know that I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. And today I honor you by giving back my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.